0: All the
1: on Hello everyone. Welcome to a new episode of No Ride Around. Uh, we are gonna step off the 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 well-worn path of bike racing and uh, do something. A little bit more entertaining and a little bit more in the, uh, like, I don't know if it like falls into bike culture, but just,
0: just not training and racing. Yeah, no, I mean, um, here, here's the deal. We have a guy, he's new to our team. He just joined this year. And all I know about him is that when he does ride a bike, he rides a bike fast and he likes to sign up for events and he just went through, he had some, some health stuff and that was out of his control. And so he had to have a surgery and he sent us an email detailing it. And in doing that, I like immediately rewound all the way back to the last time I had a real big injury. That was back in 2010. I broke my back and my sternum in 2010. And I remembered sitting there, you know, maybe a week after the trauma of the event and my whole identity had been what I could physically do. And for the next six weeks, I was going to have to wear a, a brace that basically limited my torso movement. Like I couldn't move my torso for six weeks. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? And what I, I found at the time, I, I broke my back skiing and I was really into skiing. And what I did was I watched a bunch of documentaries on skiing adjacent stories. I read books about <laughs> snow science. I re, You know what I mean? Like right. I stayed in the arena, but totally pivoted and just... Built a, a a deeper understanding of this like huge category that I enjoyed a little sliver of. And with biking, what I you know recommended for this rider to do, and, and what we should all do is, there's so much more than just racing a bike or riding a bike or wearing spandex. Um, bikes have been in everything from transportation piece to a social piece to an escape strategy, like you've talked about when you grew up. Like uh-huh. it was literally your your ticket out of. A lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this idea of being outside and in nature and experiencing life on a bike. I like it on a bike better than on your feet because you get to see more, you know? Um, this is about being outside. And what we're gonna talk about today is some of the dark macabre, yeah. <laughs> scary stuff of yeah.
1: outside. Yeah, that's definitely the uh So I think we can uncork it and just say we're gonna kind of go into like the whole like missing persons aspect of being outside. Um, and you'd recommended a book to me to kind of start my journey on, uh, this episode. And it's a book called the cold vanish. And, uh, my wife, Molly loves to go hiking by herself. Like every Friday when it's nice out her and the dog, after I read that, I was like, you're not going by yourself ever again <laughs> without 17 different G- GPS trackers
0: on you. Right, like it is uh, it is something that I'm, I'm pretty positive that nobody who listens to this podcast before they go out on a bike ride thinks, hmm, am I s- going to be safe? Like it's not, you know, you don't want to crash, sure, right. but like you do crash. Yeah. And we get this weird thing about crashing. Uh, just this weekend, we were on uh, a gravel bike Ride, just a group ride. And Scott led the ride, which meant that we were going to do the most cockamamie, backsackwards, <laughs> goofy route through sidewalks and streets and dirt paths you never even knew existed. Right. Which is what we did. Thank you, Scott. And at one point, he was talking to uh, this new guy to the group, this guy, Eric, and uh, they talked about crashing. And he goes, Well, you know, just I got to crash on the left side today because I crashed on the right side, or vice versa. <laughs> I got to crash on the right side because I crashed on the left last time. And I was like, No way, dude. The right side's the derailleur. Like, yeah. Yeah. Always crash. Where you can do at least, and he goes, "No, man, save the body, not the bike." And I'm like, "Dude, bodies heal. Yeah. Like that's how weird we are about yeah. crashing. Like my whole goal with crashing is to not hurt my bike. Yeah, because I know bones and skin and all that comes back.
1: Right. I'll heal. The bike costs money to fix.
0: We don't think about danger. Like we, we really don't. don't. There's not. There's not time for it.
1: We oftentimes, and I'm just as guilty as anybody else that I know of, kind of not taking the outdoors as seriously as we should. Yeah. As, you know, specifically here in Colorado. You know, I always say you haven't lived in Colorado very long if you don't have a story about almost dying. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> but by, by definition, for those of you that use the word epic all the time when you talk about, like, your <laughs> breakfast sandwich, an yeah. epic is defined by you got into some shit, like some real yeah. gnarly stuff, yeah. and you came out, but whoa, barely. Yeah. That's an epic.
1: And I always thought I didn't have a story, and then Colin and I were chatting, and there was one time we were literally running – from lightning like as fast as we could get back to the car and the lightning strikes were so close that we could see our shadows on like it was traverse trail like bench cut trail we could like lightning was hitting and we could see a shadow flash
0: on like a a horror movie yeah like on the side (laughs) of
1: the hill that we were riding on um yeah that's danger and and so like and also as is often the case with so many things and i think you know, we we talk about it as like a point of uh, pride, like when you do something really hard, like the, the bar is higher. So the next time something that hard comes up, it's not as hard as it was. And I think we have this kind of messed up scale here in Colorado of, well, I survived that. So
0: like the new danger level is like there. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I just got through different book, uh, that James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, which is really cool. If you're struggling with like getting from like off the pot, you know, you need to kind of move. It's a good, good book on cultivating good habits, but he talks so much about how repetition is it's a double-edged sword, right? It gives you the confidence to be like, yeah, I can keep doing this, but it also makes you super complacent to how hard it was the first time. Like yeah. the first time you clipped into pedals to ride, you were like, in a parking lot and terrified at all times, right? You're like, my God, I'm going to die, basically. Like, you're super freaked out. And now you don't ever think about it. And then once you are clipped in, maybe you struck a pedal one time and crashed, and you're like, wow, I got to pay attention to that. But then for the next 100 rides, you never hit a, hit a pedal. Yeah. You don't think about it again. So we get really complacent when we get habitual in our pursuits. And going outside, I, after reading this book, I realized going outside is... The biggest amount of complacency that I have is my idea of safety and pres- self-preservation yeah. when I go out into the woods. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm the same way. And it, it's so funny.
1: One of the things that I love about some of the content that you and I are, are working on for this one and, and some upcoming ones is kind of like going back into my history of the outdoors, like way back, like seven, eight, nine, ten eight, nine, 10-year-old uh, experiencing the outdoor stuff. And the first time that I got in, like, a lot of trouble f- for not taking the outdoors seriously was uh, me and my two nieces were on a road trip with my dad and my stepmom. And just being kids, we're like, we're going to climb. We were uh, on a road trip out west, so we would driven through Texas, and that was awful. And then we were in New Mexico, and that was amazing. And yeah, I, I, maybe 10 years old. Maybe. And all three of us, we were all like real close in age. And uh, I'll let you guys do the math on how my nieces were almost the same age as me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Lots of step family stuff going on there. Uh, He's from New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, But uh, (laughs) we climbed a fucking mountain with nothing. Like, I distinctly remember thinking we got to a point and I was like, oh, cool. We can see the top of the trees. No water, no packs. Like, nothing. And we got in just all the trouble because we hadn't, like, that was my first time of not really understanding, like, oh, this isn't just, like, a big park. Like, this is a place that can hurt you.
0: Right. it's That's a hard lesson to learn, and especially, like you said, out here. Because out here, it is all about pushing the limits. So, yeah, I told you to read this book, The Cold Vanish. And, you know, you read it, and much like when you read it, I did the same thing, you start to go down – you can very easily fall down this deep rabbit hole of crazy ass stories Yeah, that go along with the wild. But, um, to keep us a, a little bit on track, we're going to go over this book and, um, this story, and we're going to talk a bit about, you know, what it means to be, to be an outdoorsman. And, and that, that sounds like a hunter. And I've never been to a Gander mountain and only <laughs> once have gone into like Cabela's. Cabela's or Bass Pro Shop. But, uh, you know, as mountain bikers or trail runners or hikers, like we're outdoorsmen, outdoors people, but it's a 35 minute drive. Yeah. And you get to be one. Yeah. So, super low barrier to entry. Um, you know, and when you were 10 years old, it didn't even require a pack. No, we were just camping. So, this is a story about uh, this kid who, um, his name's Jacob Gray, and he's got, he's an adventurer spirit and he wants to go uh, kind of, throughout his whole life was, was a wandering adventurer. Um, and he's going to take a bike packing trip and he, it's going to be quite long and he finds himself up North. And, uh, so he's coming out of the state of Washington and doing this bike packing trip and just real quick synopsis. His bike ends up being found abandoned on the side of a road next to these, these waterfalls. Um, and that's it. Now his bike was towing a trailer, the trailer had a bunch of gear in it, that was off to the side as well, but there's no evidence of a struggle, no evidence of uh, any in- encounter with nature or, or a weather pattern or some cataclysmic event that would have thrown him off of his path. It's just simply a bike stranded on the side of the road, what the heck? And then from there, this story really starts to peel back a lot of understanding with missing persons and we get to Bigfoot eventually. So <laughs> it, it gets pretty wild. But initially you're thinking, okay, this guy's going out bikepacking. I've personally done that solo several times, right? multiple days, never once thought maybe I couldn't come back from this. Yeah.
1: And I think, you know, we get as, as bike guys, as bike nerds, whatever you want to say, we get into this mindset of to go bikepacking. I need, a very specific set of stuff. And he didn't, he, it was almost like he was an adventurer first and a bike rider. It's just like the bike was the tool. It was just a tool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was like a bike that was too small for him towing some sort of trailer. He didn't really have a lot of like the fancy technical stuff that, that you or I would say, Hey, we should have, you know, uh, an ultra lightweight, 30 degree bag and this and this and this. He's like, He had some wool blankets and a tent. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) he he had a. So it was a red specialized hard rock that said Milwaukee Tools on it because his dad, Randy Gray, won it in a raffle many years ago. Definitely just a giveaway bike. (laughs) Just a giveaway bike. And that's what he had. He fashioned a plywood rack behind the seat and bolted two milk crates to it side by side. Yeah. Yeah. And this wasn't in like. The 70s, right? No, like this, this was semi-recently, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, this is recent. So it's not like he just made this thing up. Um, he went missing in April of 2017. So this is this is recent. He just, this is what I got. This is what I'm going to go do. And he, and he took off. Um, unfortunately, he never, he never came back. And so the book walks between teaching us a bit about missing persons and stories from all over the country, which we'll reference a lot of them, and many of them here in Colorado. I think that'd be interesting for the listeners. But... It also talks about, um, about a lot of the problems that search and rescue undergoes and, and how sordid it can be if somebody goes missing. That was, to me, one of the most shocking things
1: about the whole book was, one, the frequency with which people go missing. I think in pretty early stages of the book, while they were searching for kind of the main character, was it was Randy. No, that was his dad. Randy's the dad searching for his son Jacob. Jake. Um, I think while within the first three days of them searching for Jake, um, they had to stop because like two other people or two other groups or whatever went missing in the same park, right? Or something crazy. I may, maybe it was one. Maybe it was two. I don't it, remember. And they
0: had to they had to reallocate. Yeah. The dogs. Yeah. and... They're a like, look, we've been looking and- for
1: this guy for 3 days. These people just went missing and there's there's the other fairly like like bucket of cold water in your face aspect of of this stuff is kind of and it it's not meant to be callous on the part of the search and rescue workers, but like it's almost kind of like a a lawyer like taking a case like what are my chances of winning? like they, the search and rescue people and the people who organize them definitely have a little bit of that. Like, okay, if we have this brand new case, do we have a better chance of saving that person versus this person that's already been gone for five days?
0: Yeah. They, they talk. So a bit halfway through the book, they're talking about um this guy missing. Uh, he's a runner and this is down in La Plata County. So here in Colorado and guy went running and, and disappeared. And we'll talk about it here in a moment, but it's quoted insane right here, after several days, volunteers begin going home. Um, they have other obligations. The few that remain did interviews, followed up on leads, worked teams and dogs, but the search was already winding down. And one volunteer is quoted as saying, we had a very limited number of people, and that's fairly typical in Colorado. You put out calls and people say, well, if he hasn't been found in that time, I have to go to work. Yeah. And that's really what it is. Um, well, it's, the crews are always heavily comprised
1: of volunteers, people from the community who Want to do something good,
0: right? And and when you do get the the organizations to get involved, there's so much bureaucracy around it because of how basically how things are paid for. Yep. So we have a um, in Colorado we have that Cosair card, the Colorado Search and Rescue card. Mm-hmm. It's five bucks mm-hmm. for a year. Uh, I think it's like seven dollars for five years. It's it's super low cost, and what it does is it finances basically your rescue. So in the event that you know, a few weeks ago, I took the staff on a backcountry skinning trip to a hut, which could have been we could go sideways because uh, sideways quick because we, we went at night, we ran out of daylight, and I didn't necessarily Again, always not taking it super serious know where we were gonna go. <laughs> um, but if something happened, somebody like hit a tree and b- broke a leg, you could be in a real bad pickle. So if you have to call search and rescue and they come and get you, you know, a helicopter is not cheap to fly, right? No. And so if you're out there and you don't have coverage for that insurance for that you're you're left holding the bag and that's a pretty expensive deal but if you have this co card it's not insurance it just covers the cost of that right. rescue it costs it covers the cost of a helicopter ride which is pretty cool if 3 million outdoors people in Colorado all pay 5 bucks yeah. there's a lot of money to yeah. be able to rescue the two or three or five people that need it you know so go get one of those cards but there's a bureaucracy to who funds and finances the rescue so if the park wants to call in for a helicopter, but the the area that needs to be looked is on a different land management sort of property, then you got to get them involved. Yeah, and so it's
1: like a, state parks versus national parks, and like Department of the Interior versus the Bureau Na- of the, Land Management, uh, oh. and then
0: the you know, and then is it is it National Forest, or National like there's all these yep. different classifications and and we know that here in Colorado because it designates if you can or can't ride a bike. Right. Like oh it's like I'll never national park not riding a bike. <laughs> yeah. Done. Like
1: my story will not end with he went mountain biking in Rocky Mountain National Forest and was never seen. like that's yeah. not the byline. No, yeah, yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> so
0: which for me that's why I don't go to a lot of national parks. Yeah. Um, can't have dogs, can't have bikes. I'm kind of like, well, so I'm, just, I'm out. Go, though, I'm, like I'm the two best things. What am I going to hang out with people? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have bikes and dogs because I don't want people. <laughs> I'm talking to a microphone in one dude. So that I, don't have to, <laughs> like, built, I built my life in a very specific way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so some of the information that we get in here is, is talking just about that. It's about the problem with how you can look for people. Um, and there's no centralized system for finding out how many people are missing, or yep. if there are people missing, or whatever it may be. There, there's, there's a real disconnect between information that you want and then being able to track it down. Yeah, it's a,
1: it's like a blindfolded shell game, like all because there's these all these different bureaus and and management organizations that handle state or federal or even municipal because some of the stories I think do involve people going missing in some municipal areas, uh, like more like in town type stuff. And like, they don't all report to the same place. So they don't share any information. So the numbers that you get, okay, how many people
0: go missing every year? Right. So this starts to give us, they they try to track down some numbers. So, um, the research arm of the department of justice calls missing persons, um, the nation's silent mass disaster. And here's why. They say on any given day, there's between 80,000 and 90,000 people actively listed with law enforcement as missing, right? And so I was, where, where was I over the weekend? And I saw, oh, in my neighbor in my neighborhood, there are flyers of a girl who's missing. She's like 19 years old. Yeah.
1: I, is it like Amber or something? Something yeah, like yeah.
0: that. And so, but here's how jacked up that is. It's in my neighborhood. Yep. And I don't really know her name. I kind of know what the picture looks like, right? Like you see it and it's almost just silent, right? Because it, I, I don't know anybody missing. So I'm not even really looking at, Oh, look, glanced at it. Yeah, I've never, I haven't seen her and I move on. It's not something I fixate on and that's happening 80. There's 80 000 to 90,000 of them today yeah. right now missing. And uh, the majority of these they say is, are of course in populated areas. Um, but they say when it starts to get to, the areas that aren't as populated, like what we're talking about, national parks and wildlands and forests and all that, that it becomes really challenging to figure out how many are gone. Um, They talk about what states have the most missing people. Um, Don't go to Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) per capita, there's 41.8 missing people for every hundred thousand people in Alaska. I don't like those odds. And that's a pretty, that's a staggering number, you know? Um, Like, there was maybe only they said 309 missing persons there, but the population is only three quarters of a million people. That, that's pretty freaky, so it's a lot of land up there to get lost in. Then that's what they talk about. Arizona's number two because per capita, because just how wild it is the desert. I'm, I'm going there again next week, this weekend. So let's hope that doesn't uh come back to haunt me. But they tried to, after September 11th, collapse all of this data and help law enforcement agencies have a place to go and see. Um, they, they mark in here, though, that National Park Service, Bureau of Land Management, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and Bureau of Indian Affairs, those are the ones that needed to come together to create this incident management analysis and reporting system. So it's a $50 million database. But it was so flawed that Fish and Wildlife said, no thanks. They, they refused to use it. Um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs isn't involved at all whatsoever. So they say that only fourteen percent of the seven hundred, several hundred reportable incidents were actually even entered. Yeah. So they try to create the system, and then everyone's like, "Well, it's all messed up and flawed," and so they don't use it. So again, it's just a scattered thing. So you don't know how many people are missing.
1: Yeah, and and you know it. It's kind of crazy to to think that a government agency there's a clear need and like the the. Uh, fish and Wildlife—they're just like, nah, hard pass. Like, we're just not gonna do it. Like, but yeah. but no, like we need to do this.
0: Yeah, there's there's not, um, you know, I kind of feel like it's it's similar to what's going on in the world today, where if you have a close family member that's died of COVID, you're you're probably really sensitive to all COVID-related things, and if you're say a small business owner that's just trying to navigate <laughs> COVID and haven't had any personal interaction negatively right. with it, right, other than how it's impacted you. You're saying like, "Dude, let's move on."
1: Yeah, it's all relative to your experience, right?
0: Exactly. So, you know, these organizations that the government ones, there's not a lot of personable connection there, right? Personal yeah. connection. But the biggest supporter of a lot of these missing persons searches are nonprofits that are typically founded by people who have lost someone super close to them. Yeah. Then they create this nonprofit, and there are several instances throughout this book where you learn of a new another nonprofit that all they do all the time is go and look for people. Mm-hmm. So there's this group that's really cool. And they made a sport out of it. <laughs> the,
1: I had very mixed emotions about these guys. But <laughs> I'll let you. <laughs> like on the surface, I was like, that's pretty cool. And then uh, like I, I kind of peeled back a couple of I was like,
0: is that? Is that a little rude? It, it's a little <laughs> bit like the movie Stand By Me. Remember that movie yeah. growing uh-huh. up? Oh, like, dude. Yeah. Hey, man, you want to see a dead body? Yeah. The kids that were looking for the dead body didn't really think about the fact that that was like somebody, you know, later on in the movie they do and they yeah. say it was this person and you could tell once they saw the body that it wasn't cool, right? But the whole journey in the movie Stand By Me to find the body is like super cool, right? Like running on the railroad tracks and we're di- like, it's, it's an adventure. Their dad's
1: gun, shooting guns in the woods. Totally, like like the whole running thing.
0: from the junkyard dog, yep. the chopper, like, yeah. uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um. Uh, <laughs> but once they see the body they're like oh that's that wasn't yeah, that, that, cool. that wasn't cool so this group of people we're talking about there are uh, they're trail runners like adventure like more like obstacle course racer type dudes but are into orienteering and reading maps and in that sort of adventure and so they've made an adventure out of trying to find missing pe- missing persons
1: right and they it's a company it's a they company
0: use- and they bring a military style like background and logistics and planning and this is what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to spread out. Here's the footprint we're going to make. And these are the formations we're going to run in. But then they make it a workout. Yeah. And they run for 12, 16, 18, 24 hours. And they make it their, basically their adventure race, trying to find a missing person. Yeah. Um, Which, I I mean... They're helping out. Yeah. I mean,
1: you can't like discount the fact that they're they're out there actually trying to help find people who are missing. Um, I think... Again, you know, one of the things that if your life hasn't been touched by having somebody go missing, you wouldn't know, but the author of the book, like this is just what he does. Yeah. He He kind of latches on to missing persons, uh, search and rescue efforts and locks in with different groups and kind of throughout the, 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 there's a thread through this whole book. So, you know, they have this whole. Uh, they follow the whole story of uh the father and the son and they kind of, ba- he kind of bounces to like other events and other stories that tie in. Um, And this whole time, the dad just keeps calling him, Hey, I'm going to go do this. And he drops everything and just, to, and just goes to drive to Vancouver, BC and take a ferry to a bunch of islands to go put up missing person's posters and drive back. And that was just what he did that week. And there's another really cool one. I think it was in Michigan uh, where they were looking for this native American dude, I think. Uh, And they like took a train and just got off the train at some random, like the train just stops at this place. And it was just him and one other dude. So it's everything from like these mass scale, you know, big effort search and rescues to him and one other guy with backpacks walking through marshland in Michigan or Minnesota I get those those that part of the country all mixed they're up all, they're all the same they're all the same uh just <laughs> lost some listeners uh, <laughs> um but yeah like this guy and and tons of people so the guy that he was going with uh on the train adventure was just another guy who was looking for some other guy and he linked in with him. And it's like there's this massive network of all these people who are interconnected who just help each other out on these uh, effectively cold cases.
0: Yeah, I think that bringing this one back home here to Colorado, and, and like you said, he meets, it's just him and one dude. He Hank, links up with this guy named Alan Duffy, nicknamed Duff. And if you picture someone in your head that their name's Duff, that's kind of how they explain this guy to be. So, you know, he's in his old kind of beat up pickup. He's got his two bloodhounds that are his, his dogs. Oh. And he's talking about this guy, Duff, you know, is this, this the guys with the cadaver dog? Yeah. Yeah. This guy made it his life's mission that he just goes out and he has these two dogs. One's younger and he's training it um, to be cadaver dogs. They're going to go find, find bodies. And so uh Duff He's in his pickup, and the author, this guy John, slides into the pickup with him, and in between them is Molly. Molly is a child-sized mannequin with dark hair and blue eyes that Duff has infused with his proprietary recipe of pig blood, human hair, fingernails, toenails, and a little urine. So it's his version of a CPR training dummy to help his dogs find cadavers. And so he'll go out and hide it, and then he does all the training techniques with his dogs to say, hey, go find this body. So that in the event that someone does go missing, you know, at first you're trying to find the person, but then you're very quickly trying to find just the remains. And that's what this guy does. And so they're on the weedy shore of, of Hidden Lake in the Denver suburb of Westminster. They hop on a 287, cruise out to the middle of kind of nowhere, which you can get to pretty quickly on 287. And we're going to work on just finding this body so that we can go and find bodies and John spends a handful of days with this guy trying to find it
1: um so this summer you know again bringing it back to the local thing this summer there's a woman that as far as I, I know has not been found here um Suzanne Morphew she just went for a bike ride and never came back
0: yeah and she didn't go for it she wasn't doing the Colorado Trail no. she wasn't riding like a multi-day she was just going out for an after i think it was after work ride before work yeah, ride yeah something like that she's just going out for a short like hour like we would do a ride up in apex yeah Chan forest
1: yeah yeah it was just her 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 daily thing and then there was the guy um i'm um, i i do not remember his name there's another podcast that did a whole series about it uh the guy down south the guy down south who was like Castle Rock. A, an icon of
0: the sport everybody knew him yeah, longtime mountain biker. Like, you know, he he worked with local trail networks, getting kids on bikes. All the bike shops knew him, and he goes out for just his regular ride, and it's gonna be like a two-hour ride, and never comes back. Yep. And they end up finally finding um, one of his shoes. Yep. On the side of the road, um, and then they find a. Uh, they do end up finding the bike, and then there was a bullet hole associated with.
1: Yeah, there was so like they found the bike and like his his shoppers card, like his King Super's card or whatever, mm-hmm. and and so that was a again. There's like so many like eye opening things uh, reading the Cold Vanish. Like how frequently the search and rescue parties, through no fault of their own, like it's hard to to find a human in the woods. But this this illustrated the case perfectly. Um, they found this guy's bike and uh, the contents of his wallet and then didn't find his remains for like another two days.
0: And they were right. They were like less than 50 feet away in that, you know, this littered with examples, right? The people are always found so close to their like last known position. Right. And so they're always right there. Uh, when this author went down, into the little county he was looking for this trail runner um and this this trail runner just simply went off for a run and uh his buddies went as well he was a little bit faster and so he was off ahead of them, and they all go back to this place that they're staying and the the kid doesn't come back the guy doesn't come back 19 year old trail runner doesn't come back can't find him where is he going to be this doesn't make sense let's go find him can't find him a day goes by, they've got all these search and rescues, can't find him. They've canvassed the whole area, can't find him. Um, Not on this hillside, not on that cliff band. Like, they're literally looking everywhere, right? They finally find him. Joe's body was 1.7 miles as the crow flies from the ranch that they were staying at.
1: Was that the one where there was, like, a little bluff that he stopped, like, in yep. Overlook?
0: Yeah, they ended up finding him um, on this cliffside, uh, or this bluff, and they end up interviewing a couple of the volunteers and in this volunteer Keller says, I regret not searching there on the 25th of July because they found him in November. Right. Uh, because that's where I wish I'd started. What part of this area would take a life? It's not the meadow on top. It's the cliff. Yeah. And it's these hindsight 2020 scenarios, like when you find them, but almost every story in here, the, the, the bodies found almost a stone's throw or within from that last position or where they Or started. a place that they searched. Yeah, which is crazy to me because you go, okay, we're going to canvas this area. And even in this case, they canvassed the area and they walked a tight grid yeah, all the way out. And you wouldn't think it's a needle in a haystack because you're like, I'm going to walk on every bit of ground. Yeah. I think we've all done that in our house. To bring this back to maybe a little safer scale, but <laughs> you're like, where are my keys? Yeah, and you're looking, 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 or like sun. How many times have you look for your sunglasses, and they're on the brim of your hat?
1: Yeah, yeah, right? they're on you your spend head. Like
0: three minutes doing it.
1: I need a pin, and they're holding two pins. Totally. So like
0: anxiety, um, you know, stress, the energy, yeah. stress, all that yeah. can really cloud. But they say that almost every person's found right there. Um, so back to the the protagonist of the story, this kid Jacob. The book, like the dad is fully bought in. Now they talk about, he owns a-, a Also the
1: dad's uh, tough as fucking nails.
0: Tough as it? So that he owns a, a <laughs> contracting company. So fortunately he's able to have a, a, like a company doing work and producing some income for him. And he's got an Arctic Fox, which is just a, it like drops into the pickup bed yeah. camper. One of those campers in the back of your pickup bed. And he goes out for weeks and months on end. And he's going to just go look, you know, every day he's just looking for his son. And they're accomplished like watermen, both him and his son were surfers. And so he's going through the water and diving in the water and he's got scuba gear on and like, like he's all the way in it and they get pretty deep in how fringe they, they start thinking of their, uh, theories like, man, what, what really happened to him? Did he go to, and they talk about an island community up off, like you were saying, these islands, did he abscond to this like hippie commune? did he like there were all kinds of like, super there was, fringe there was some
1: stuff that lost me a little bit cuz it 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 seemed like they kind of wanted to touch on the fact that Jacob had some mental health issues yeah, yeah um and then like may have been schizophrenic or a little bit delusional and was like looking at a map of Jerusalem
0: right they thought maybe he went to, on a on a like a big pilgrimage quest. pilgrimage yeah
1: and he like they were trying to draw some some distinctions or, like, some, uh, like, connections between if you look at a map of, like, where Jerusalem is against the Pacific Northwest of the U.S., there were some similarities. I was like, "Eh, it feels a little
0: stretchy for me. (laughs) Super stretchy, but you've been in a scenario before where, like, you can't, explain something. So, yeah. And, and so you just start searching and yeah. you can convince yourself pretty a lot, quickly. A lot of things. Yeah. And when you don't have, um, when there's not like a true north to come back to, as, we're, as we learned with missing persons, there isn't, hey, this is the way you find missing people, period. Yeah. And so when you start to get a skew from that, you can go, oh, no, 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 no that's <laughs> not how it's done. There is no how it's done. And so, you kind of are writing the rules, but what was the most entertaining theory so before I get to the entertaining shit, I do <laughs>
1: <laughs> well cuz cuz I kind of want like it feels like kind of a natural uh progression is to kind of the more entertaining and that sounds horrible to say but like the more entertaining theories of missing people. Um the common thread of of all the people who go hypothermic.
0: Oh yeah. Dude, that fucked me up. Well, so in I've I've done a lot of I've read a lot about like Everest and K2 and Annapurna and these big like Himalayan adventures. And I thought I wanted to get into that sort of super high Alpine environment stuff, um, where they have death zones and all these things. uh, (laughs) No, thank uh, you. But man, like that's one of those hobbies that it has to be your whole life because yeah, you don't toe dip that one. No. And also like the cost is huge. The time involved, like no matter how fit you are, You can't just go to 29,000 feet of elevation. Like you've, you've got to acclimate, which takes time. Like there's many of these big hikes or big climbs in the world. You have to have weeks or, you know, well over a month for the whole process. So when I was looking at it, I go, man, this is just kind of like your whole year would be defined by one climb. And so I turned sideways from it. But what you learn with cold and hypothermia is that the brain and the body disconnect. Big time, big time. And when the, when the body's suffering from cold and getting hypothermic, the, the body will pull all the blood to the center to try to keep you warm, right? And so that's why your fingers get cold and your toes get cold and your hands get cold, right? So it's all pulling blood and pulling blood and pulling blood. Well, when you talk about like death, hypothermic death, you get to this spot where the body goes, I have one more chance to try to warm me up. And so all this blood's pulled to your core. And in one last burst, it shoots the blood Everywhere. all the way yeah. out everywhere to yeah. try to warm you up one last time because it knows death is imminent right right and that feeling is super painful like when you when your fingers are numb and then you get life back into them they're all tingly and painful your entire body goes that way so it's like fire so people who are hypothermic strip all their clothes you get off. they just
1: like they they find all these people in like either almost naked or naked or yeah. it, it dude absolutely insane
0: pull all their clothes off yeah. And make and then that doesn't really help with the mental health aspect because then you're like see he was crazy. He pulled <laughs> totally. all his clothes off on the top he of the mountain. He thought it was a good idea to
1: get naked in the <laughs> snow on top of a he mountain. He was doing
0: some sort of ceremony. There what an idiot. There was dried sage. No, there was dried <laughs> sage. Um but no that that's yeah, just that's the body's the body's crazy in trying to survive and um
1: that one there's just a couple of things that you know like I said even even like I I, I kind of said jokingly the thing about um Molly going hiking but like I was also kind of serious like
0: like there were some things that definitely tilted me um well no they talk about a, a woman that went missing and she was never found uh she was an accomplished Ironman competitor oh yeah and yeah. she was running her hills she, mm-hmm. was doing hill repeats. she was doing hill repeats She was doing hill repeats in their name like now granted it was like a dirt road neighborhood so like a lot of like, our mountain communities I was just in Cody Park on Saturday riding gravel I mean that's 15 minutes past the top of apex. You're in Cody park, which so it's right there. Not even it's like 10 minutes. It's right there, but it feels like you're in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, dirt roads, you know, 50, 60 houses back there, but all dirt roads. And that's what she's running on and gone missing. Well, and, and yeah, like my wife goes hiking by
1: herself in way more remote parts of Colorado.
0: Yeah. And you know, what happens is it, you know, a mountain lion attack—pretty rare, right? Right. Was it? You know, did she fall? Was she abducted? Was she murdered? Like you can yes, get super freaky. Mean, yeah. I don't know. All of those apply, and we don't usually know. Yeah. Um. So it, it gets it gets super fringe, and when we're going in here and, and learning about it, they get sideways because Randy, the dad, you know, he's looking for anything he's grabbing at straws right the jerusalem thing um this commune thing like he's grabbing at straws and he meets another group of people that are up in the same area this olympic peninsula and they are a little bit outside of the norm little like if you are like if you have a sasquatch sticker on the back of your car you probably buy beer from a local brewery here in colorado Right?
1: Probably the local brewery right by the Sasquatch Museum in Bailey. <laughs> but have you been you, there?
0: No, I haven't been there. Dude, you got to go. <laughs> There's
1: a Sasquatch Museum in Bailey, Colorado, <laughs> and it's amazing.
0: You might have a Sasquatch on the back of your car as a sticker if you, by chance, bought a Yeti SB-115 this year. Yeah. You know, you're know you all in. Yeah. Right? Um, but if you firmly believe without a shred of doubt that Bigfoot is real, Uh, You're probably living in this barn in the middle of really nowhere in the woods. And Randy, this dad, hell-bent on finding his son, stumbles across your path, and we learn a lot about these Bigfoot people.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So
0: there was kind
1: of – there were some – I'll, I'll rewind just a little bit in saying that while I was reading the book, I, I confess to you that I kind of struggled with it. I didn't love the writing style, but there were things that kept pulling me back in. Um, there was a true crime aspect um, to the whole thing, like how there was one story in the book about how a missing person's case tied back around to uh, a serial killer. And the the true crime enthusiast of me kind of hooked into that, and I got excited—not excited. That's the wrong word because that sounds super weird. Um, but it it wrote me back in and, and and engaged me in that in the fact that this there's this small county and some missing people, and they were kind of gapped apart, and then it turned out to be this dude who had been doing bad things for a little while. Um. The other things were when it got into the supernatural. So there was kind of two supernatural things. There was the the Bigfoot thing, um, and then there was what they call it, like portals, or
0: oh yeah, uh, the portals gotta, got got all the way out there,
1: <laughs> dude. But but like I'm into it. Like, yeah yeah yeah. Like I'll take
0: it. Um, so Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. <laughs> Is a legitimate, sounds,
1: sounds super official.
0: It is a legitimate organization uh, that makes it their life's mission to track down potential or thought of Bigfoot interactions, experiences, and otherwise. Now, I've been out in the woods a lot. Like, a lot. I've been out on mountain bike trails a lot. And I was on a mountain bike trails for a solid nine years in Colorado Before I ever rode across a rattlesnake. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now people talk about rattlesnakes all the time. Like 303 trail monitor from, from basically June to September is just about snakes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's super like they're all over, but for that many years, I never saw one. And then one day I'm climbing up white ranch on Belcher Hill. This is like three years ago. And I got my head down because it's Belcher Hill at White Ranch and I'm creeping up there and I look down and just to my right is this gigantic rattlesnake stretched out, making its way across the trail. And I'm like, oh shit. Unfortunately, it's stretched out and not coiled up. Since that snake encounter, I've seen about eight snakes in the last three years, rattlesnakes.
1: Right. You see one and all of a sudden. Yeah.
0: I was out in Virginia for Shenandoah 100 last year and saw a timber rattler on the trail. Like, I I feel like I'm a rattlesnake magnet now, but I hadn't seen one for several years. Right. So, I've been in the woods a lot. I'd never seen a Bigfoot, but I had never seen a rattlesnake on the trail <laughs> Right, either. right. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So, the thing with Bigfoot is, as the Bigfoot researchers will tell you, that in order for a Bigfoot to go from adolescent to adult, to like finally be like, you can go out in the wild on your own. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to... It's like a rite of passage. It's a rite of passage. You have to... Stand within one meter of a human being point blank and them not see you. Yeah. So apparently Bigfoot has the ability to be invisible to the human eye. Now there are, like if you get into the world of physics, and and um, I've spoken with a guy who, who's well published in the world of, he's super smart, and it was a, a girl I dated's dad. And um, he's telling me about dark matter and then dark energy. So stuff that genuinely exists, but our senses are too dumb to see them. right? And you can measure it. And so they know for a fact that dark matter exists, and then it gets even deeper with dark energy. So Bigfoot, if unable to be perceived by our senses, could exist. I mean, these people, I'm not saying I'm one of them. These people say that it's full-on possible. And there are a ton of stories in this book that make you go, hmm,
1: there's a, the ones that are the most believable to me are the ones that involve really little kids.
0: Okay, so <laughs> people are going to say, "What are you talking about with little kids?" And we're going to break down a couple of them for you. So, so little
1: little little Johnny or little Jane goes missing, and and we're saying like three, two to three, two to four year old kids. I'll tell
0: the story. You ready for it? Go for it. He's just going to read. He's got the book up. <laughs> so. Three-year-old Casey Hathaway had been missing for nearly three days near his great-grandmother's rural county home in North Carolina. The weather was miserable, deadly, for a three-year-old not geared up properly. Temperatures below, freezing, and rain blew in sideways, making swamps of the surrounding forest. Under three feet tall, Casey wasn't dressed for cold, wet nights. He had no food or water, so he goes missing from the grandma's house. At one point, more than 500 volunteers aided in the search for Casey. Foot searchers worked a grid through the woods, starting at the boy's last known point, his great-grandmother's uh, front yard, and walking line of sight so that chances of missing a clue were minimal. Crack k teams were quickly brought in, and a heat-seeking FLIR-equipped helicopter flew almost constantly in the search for Casey. None of those resources proved effective. On the evening of January 24th, a woman walking her dog heard a cry in the bush. in the brush. Shane, an EMS coordinator, and his team walked through the waist-deep water where they found the little boy wet but alive, entangled in briars and whimpering for his mother. He checked out fine at the hospital, and within a couple of hours, he was eating Cheerios and watching cartoons. The spot where he was pulled from the brambles was a quarter mile from his great-grandmother's house. So the author had been following this story with keen interest. And, uh, and learned quite a bit and was trying to figure out how Casey managed to avoid deadly hypothermia um, when similar weather had killed scores of adults. Casey's story gained international media attention when he told his grandmother that while he was missing, he'd been kept company and taken care of by a bear. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that kid, what what the fuck? A three-year-old can't craft, like, they make up stories, right? But they're like, I got picked up by a unicorn and then dropped onto the moon and then I flew my space shuttle to have some pizza with Elvis.
1: (laughs) Not, I got taken care of by the bear.
0: Yeah, so they say that, you know, like, how does a child travel uh, in in 4,000 feet elevation in this nasty weather, or in Casey's case, travel through waist-deep swamp water and live for three days in below freezing temperature and sideways rain And have no ill, like, he didn't build a cave and, like, bury himself in there. He didn't eat grubs.
1: So here's the thing. Uh, we are, uh, you know, the reality is that, uh, I know adults that would not, probably couldn't survive 24 hours in that shit. Dude. Right?
0: I know adults that can't ski at Loveland (laughs) Ski Resort
1: for four hours. (laughs) (laughs) Um... You know, I I like to think, you know, my dad was super into like survival stuff. So I know the mechanics of making a fire without fire making tools. It would probably take me a few hours. Yeah, to actually do it. (laughs) To actually do it. But like, I know the things I need to make it happen. How Like, it it just, it does not compute at all that a three-year-old would be able to to pull that off on their own.
0: There's, there's. Listen, without a doubt, we don't need to go, no one would believe that they would. Like, this kid was helped, right? Uh, it's just a matter of by whom, how, whatever. And this three-year-old's like, I was a bear man
1: Yeah, took care And of there's me. like story after story after story. Oh, yeah,
0: they talk about, there's this other, a local Colorado story. kid, uh, Jared, goes missing from Littleton, Colorado. Um, he was out with uh, in the Poudre River Canyon. And they say that ultimately when he was found, finally found sometime later, um, they found clothing that was confirmed to ball into him. And then there was a single tooth and then the piece of the top of his skull was found. So they were able to identify that it was him. Um, But when they went to look at the found clothing, they saw that the sneakers he was wearing were perfectly well kept. Like they weren't like mangled like he'd been Mm -hmm. walking around. They were like well kept. They said they actually matched a pair of uh, the same pair of shoes unused at his house. Um, four years later, the shoes look like they were well kept. For um, they found his clothing. His clothing was turned inside out, and there were hairs found on his clothing, like as if it was like his, his clothes were taken care of. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stories like this of these kids being effectively taken care of. If you look at the clues, yeah, uh, it's goofy,
1: dude, super goofy. And then what was the? I only vaguely remember the, and I don't remember if I'm if I'm even saying it right. Were they calling them portals? but basically like these energetic hotspots that people would just like walk through and disappear.
0: Yeah. And, and <laughs> like, like, so I, that never... one, I'm
1: a little less into that one, but yeah. like, I'll definitely like for the purpose of entertainment. I'll take the, I'll take the journey into some, some ridiculous shit.
0: Yeah. They, they, t- they say that. Um, so the 37th parallel is known as America's paranormal highway and runs through the UFO hotspot of the country. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm in. Yeah, and so... Aliens, I'm all in. Yeah, with all that... Now, I was told about another podcast about the desert, and I don't remember the exact name, but um, it centers on like the Mojave Desert and a lot of the UFO stuff. And one of our other guys on the team, he, he listens to this podcast pretty religiously. So that stuff, I'm not a big sci-fi guy, right? I'm much nah. more of like, I want to... I can believe an action movie. Where some guy does like some crazy, like drives a motorcycle with one foot and shoots like 13 would-be assassins with a single pistol with an extended clip. Like, unlikely, sure, but... But all those things exist. Yeah, I could see A human, a motorcycle, and a gun exist. (laughs) But like the UFO thing, right? It's um, a little hard. A little harder for me. So I kind of cruise past that. What I can't cruise past is that on any given day, you could go out and ride your bike and never come back ever again. Yeah. And there aren't enough clues to find out what happened, where you are, or or, or give closure sure. to the people that are looking for you. And, and with this story, with Jacob Gray, you know, they've gone from right in the water, right by where the bike was found, to just further downstream, to all the way downstream, to, all right, maybe the islands in Vancouver, maybe freaking Jerusalem. Like, they've been all over, right? And then finally... Um, What happened to him will forever remain a mystery. The autopsy work done at King County, Seattle uh, was inconclusive, but they positively identified Jacob through dental records. Right. Um, It's likely he succumbed to hypothermia. They had found his boots pulled off of him and wrapped in plastic bags and then tied around the plastic bags, like preserving them, which gave another indicator that a lot of times when people do commit suicide— That's a suicide thing. They're like— they'll lace and tie their shoes and I like, tuck the laces inside their shoes. Almost like there's almost like a weird ritual aspect that happens to the preparation for that final moment. And um, so they had, found, they had found that, but they ultimately find where, where he went missing um, and some hikers had found him. And the dad goes and makes kind of like a pilgrimage style hike and he calls the, the author and he's like, hey, I mean, this is what I'm doing. And they hike up there and they have a moment where they, they get to be exactly in the spot, which was this little, like, cut-in ledge overlooking this big vista that that Jacob ultimately died from. And it was just up the hillside, basically. Up yeah, the and side. it was
1: something that they had looked at searching.
0: Yeah, many times over. And, and, and they'd always said that, like, he wouldn't go or that he would have gone up. Like, that was – and they say a lot of people, when they do go missing, missing persons are found up. And it's typically them trying to find, like, a vantage point yep. to see where they are. Um, but they found him up there. And uh and that's kind of how the book ends. I mean, there's closure in the fact that they find him. They don't know how it happened, why it happened. Obviously, yeah. there's no answers. And that's I think that's the biggest hmm f- with the whole deal.
1: Yeah. The book definitely achieved through the eyes of the dad Randy. It definitely up until like the very end of the book, I was like, Man, maybe they find this kid. Like, there's a couple of times where I was like on board with the narrative that maybe uh, Jacob comes back home um, but suffice to say that that ends up not being the case um, yeah um, that's a it's a heavy heavy episode
0: <laughs> yeah the so the the dad finishes off like kind of the book closes with the author sitting in, in a lawn sitting in lawn chairs uh, around a small fire outside of this uh, Sasquatch barn right? The Sasquatch barn. The father says, "You know." Um, the father turns to the author and says, "I've hiked more miles in the last two years than I will the rest of my life. It's a it's a sad hike, but it's a beautiful one." Right. Talking about the last hike to go see the spot, and he almost honors his his son in that way. Um, you could tell they both were uh, they're both cut from the same cloth, right? Like these adventure kind of out of the norm types. But I'll tell you this, I. Much like you, the idea of Abby going out on a bike ride—you know, there's the like deep, sordid, freaky stories you hear, uh, like assaults and things like that. Yeah, like the really dark shit. Yeah, like like the unfair.
1: Hey, babe, let's go get you a gun, take you to a class, and you never leave the house without it. (laughs) Right? Yeah,
0: but could you imagine, like? Abby's coming here, base camp. She has you do, oh, Hey, I need a refresh on my sealant. And Hey guys, can you adjust that strap on the side? That's where I keep my gun on yeah, my Orbea. Right. To go ride green mountain. Right. That's a little aggressive, but man, you get through some of this missing person and like, stuff. And you're like, a, that would be almost kind of a guaranteed way to feel better about it, but it's just unrealistic. And so we do take a huge dice roll every time we step out. Yeah. And beyond the people in our close circle, there's not a, uh, an organization that's guaranteed to come help and no. find you.
1: Um, so two last things that I kind of want to cover before we we wrap this all up. One is most of us ride with a GPS and almost all of them have, like my wife has a permanent link that she can click on that shows my, if my GPS is active, it shows where I am. Right. So like do that.
0: Yeah. The beacon feature on Strava. Yep. Like You don't have it if you're using Strava for free. If you're listening to this podcast and you still use Strava for free, (laughs) they don't pay us, but you need to pay them. Like buy the premium version. First off, you don't know how good you are because you don't get any of the leaderboards. (laughs) But they have the beacon feature, and so does uh, there's a bunch of other. I mean, I I
1: use a Wahoo as my head unit, and just on that I have a a Live Link. Just so I I have like suspenders and a belt.
0: Yeah. So you know, using that just so somebody knows where you're at. Right. That's an easy way to do it. The other thing, and, and I talked about this over the weekend with when we were on our group ride, we had been out for two hours. I'm like, man, I only drank one bottle. It wasn't that hot out, you know? Yeah, yeah. But man, I only drank one bottle. And we end up stopping at this this bagel shop up in Evergreen, and we all reloaded our bottles. We're riding away from it, and maybe it's like five minutes later, and Scott's like, man, yeah, I only drank a bottle too, and I reloaded. For some reason, I had to reload both of mine. So we both had full bottles, and I made the comment, like, yeah, man, but I reload them because... I could blow a wheel up and have to walk for the next three hours. Right. And so when I go and ride, even if I'm doing an hour ride at Green Mountain, I throw at least a goo packet in my pocket because if I do break something that now that 10 minute ride back to the car is 55 minutes, right, I might be hungry. Okay, if you get a little further from Green Mountain and you're going to do like a ride at Centennial Cone, you could be four hours, three hours from your car.
1: Yeah, and, you know, so for just a reference point, you know, Green Mountain is 20 minutes from the neighborhood that we live slash work out slash operate businesses in, and Centennial Cone is 50. Yeah. But the trail, like that that 30 minutes, like when you're on the backside of Centennial Cone – you have no phone service. You know, no phone service. And if you're, you're on the far side, you're, you're in Golden Gate Canyon. You're
0: eight miles from where your car was. Yeah. And if you walk fast, that's four hours. Right. Right? You can ride it in hardly no time. Yeah. But if you walk fast, like if you walk, not fast, if you walk at a decent clip, that's four hours, three yeah. and a half to four hours.
1: Yeah. Hike so, faster than two and a half miles an hour with a bike.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's see you do it. <laughs> and so in bike shoes. Uh, another thing that, that I do now, uh, this came from my buddy Scott. I was rifling through his glove box. I wasn't like searching for anything, but uh, I think I was getting What you nap- got in here? <laughs> a napkin or something. Um, and he has in with his registration, he has like a hundred dollar bill folded up and sure. stuffed in there. And he's like, I was, Oh really? And he goes, yeah, I have that in all my cars because you know, you break down on the side of the road and someone helps you out. It's like nice to be able to say, Hey man, Hey, for a hundred bucks, could you give me a ride into town or something, something like that? Yeah. Right. And it's hard to wait. let me Venmo you. you yeah. know.
1: Um. Chris, hundred dollar bill goes a long, long it goes way. a long
0: way. So I've actually built on that, and all my repair kits and all my bags rolled up in the tube is either a twenty or a hundred dollar bill all right. rolled up in there. Also, maybe I'm going to use it for food. Maybe I'm going to use it to barter for a ride somewhere. But like maybe these, you don't use it at all. Maybe <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, it's Just but what is, what's I the know? cost of carrying it? Yeah, just leave it in there. So. I've started to do that with a lot more of my stuff where you go, okay, it's probably not going to happen. So this book, if you guys want to be entertained, it's called The Cold Vanish. It'll probably make you freaked out a little bit. Uh, but there are references in here to a lot of local Colorado things that can hit home. If you're not local in Colorado, there's things all over the country and really all over the world uh, that that can have you buy into this adventure. And I think it's easy sometimes to, so you're like, oh, yeah, but that, like, that won't happen to me, you know, yeah. um, until, until it does. Until it does. They say that uh, mountain bikers and touring riders vanish about as frequently as golfers, meaning, like, we don't, right? right. Hikers are usually the ones, in-runners that, that go. They say even berry pickers and mushroom hunters, right, they disappear, um, even big game hunters, but not really bikers. Right. And they say that, of course, it does happen. And our Amelia Earhart is a cyclist named Frank Lenz, who in 1892, at the age of 24, lit out from Pittsburgh to circumnavigate the globe on his victory safety bicycle. He wouldn't be the first to do it, but Outing Magazine sponsored his trip so he could chronicle the adventure while demonstrating the high-tech wonders of the newfangled safety bicycle, (laughs) which is the bike you guys ride today, effectively. But for the longest time, it didn't have what it has now. So the safety bicycle is what it was called. Two years into the trip, Lenz fell off the edge of the earth somewhere in the Ottoman Empire. Um, You can imagine how slowly no news traveled back then. When his family expressed concern, Outing sent another famous cyclist, William Shattlebin to Turkey to find him. He didn't, but he came back with the information that his probable fate was that Lenz pissed off a Kurdish chief and the <laughs> warlord had him killed. <laughs> At the time of Shettlebin's rescue attempt, uh, this was considered on par with the famous hunt for David Livingstone. So you hear these like super old stories like, oh, well, he got into some trouble with a Kurdish warlord who slapped, chopped his head off. It was back in the 1800s. But this story of Jacob was in 2017. Mm-hmm. The story for the girl from Colorado was last summer. Yeah, it was yeah, 2020. Still not found. Yeah. The guy in Colorado Springs rode a road that I have ridden many times, both for a day ride and a bikepacking trip. This happens so much closer to home and so much more current. Um, and it goes, it goes to say, like, if, if you don't know how to take care of yourself, if you can't fix a flat, why don't you come on into the shop? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> We'll start there. Yeah, But uh, we're at risk out there
1: yeah big time and uh yeah just take it a little bit more seriously than we do um little palate cleanser cause that was a little heavy yeah what what ginger you got <laughs> uh the youtube channel super fun stuff um take it away I mean it everybody has a YouTube channel,
0: everybody creates content yeah, if you guys can jump on YouTube, just search no rider on we have a channel on there and You know, we we can't compete with Nate Hill's follow cam. We can't compete with some of the, like, super badass, vital MTB clips of guys double-gapping huge features or tight-wrapping a tree, like, parallel to the ground, dragging their handlebar. Um, What we wanted to do was provide a resource for people that are either local to Colorado or love to come to Colorado. Or hear
1: us, like, you know, listen to to our podcast and hear us talk about trails.
0: We've taken your indoor riding experience, and we wanted to give you guys some good content and footage to watch as if you're riding the trail. So we have put together some of our local rides and we'll continue to build this library where you can have anywhere from an hour to two-hour indoor training session watching footage of actual Colorado local trails and you on the bike. It's your front tire navigating this trail.
1: Yeah. um, You did – you're like – a man obsessed right now, and you've been cranking out some rides here. Um, but last night, I, I I I rode massive air quotes uh, White Ranch last night. Yeah, you got. While, while I had an hour workout, and I usually watch race footage or whatever. Um, and I was like, you know what, my bro like made this. Let's see how it goes. And so, you know, while I was doing a uh, you know some sort of weird threshold endurance workout, I rode up Belcher Hill. And then I was telling you right before we started recording that, like, right when you started going downhill was when the cooldown started, worked out perfectly. <laughs> so,
0: perfect 16 minute cooldown of just yeah. ripping downhill yeah. trail. Yeah. Um, we're gonna do a few things with it. But first, just a resource. Hey, something cool to watch. There's no soundtrack to it. There's no audio. Yeah. Yeah. We call
1: that uh, B Y O E. bring bring your own entertainment.
0: (laughs) We want you to listen to whatever playlist you, you you're not stuck with whatever it is that, you know, we enjoy. So your own playlist, you can have your own workout, whether you're uploading that from other devices or creating your own, but you at least have some, some visual stimulation that is, is point of view. So, uh, it's just your front tire leading your way down the trail. Some of the, the dreams of this channel are going to be doing, um, pre-rides for race courses for doing even like uh, large technical sections where you guys can see how lines are picked through, but ultimately it's just for you to be able to ride trail while you're in home on your trainer or out of state, um, traveling or whatever it may be. So please hop on YouTube, check out No Ride Around, subscribe to the channel, share it with a friend of yours if you want. Keep an eye on it as we continue to build the library. Uh, we're pretty excited with, with what we're planning to build there.
1: Hell yeah. Um, and then also um, subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe to, uh, to the podcast on their favorite listening service. Throw us a rating. Throw us a like. Do something. Share it with a friend. Um, I think this next year is going to show a lot of growth for what we're working on. Um, so definitely looking forward to that. Good having you guys listen to us.
0: Appreciate you taking it a little side angle and uh catch you next time. Talk to you soon, guys. You're weak! You're done! So get the fuck out! You're weak! You're done! So get the fuck out! You're weak! You're done! So get the fuck out!